Welcome to the Building Texas Business Podcast. Interviews with thought leaders and organizational visionaries from across industry. Join us as we talk about the latest trends, challenges, and growth opportunities to take your business to the next level. The Building Texas Business Podcast is brought to you by Boyer Miller, providing counsel beyond expectations. Find out how we can make a meaningful difference to your business at BoyerMiller.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Chris Hanslick. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Hanslick, and I'm the chairman of Boyer Miller, a mid-sized law firm in Houston, Texas. I want to welcome you to Building Texas Business, a podcast about corporate innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership in the Lone Star State. The goal of this podcast is to learn from some of the best business leaders in Texas in hopes that their stories of growth, challenges, and success will inspire our listeners in their own journey to building a successful business. Today's guest is Rob Whitman, CEO and co-founder of Forward Science, based here in Houston, Texas. Rob began his career as a clinical engineer at MD Anderson Cancer Center, where his focus was developing advanced technology for early detection of cervical cancer. After a few years with a failed Houston medtech startup and learning what not to do, Rob co-founded Forward Science in 2012 with the goal of changing lives through early discovery, diagnosis, and treatment. In addition to his role as CEO of Forward Science, Rob also serves as an advisor to startup medical technology companies on product development strategies at the Texas Medical Center and has a passion for speaking on the topic of oral cancer and early discovery. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit more about what Forward Science is known for. So Forward Science, you know, we believe that we can defeat cancer and cancer won't defeat us. So we're a med tech company, completely vertically integrated, which is pretty rare in the sense that we design, develop, manufacture, commercialize, deal with all the FDA paperwork and everything. So we deal from the beginning to the end for medical technologies that, you know, again, our goal is to innovate current technologies into simpler, easier products to then hopefully affect more lives. So, you know, there's large cancer centers that we've partnered with that have some of the great technology that they're able to use in clinical trials, but commercializing that technology to then get to the masses is not something that people are able to do. So that's been our focus since day one. Two engineers, our goal has always been to move science forward. So the name was pretty fitting for forward science. And yeah, that's that's the gist of it. It's obviously evolved over time. And then with COVID, there's a bunch of different variables. But yeah, that's been the goal and focus. So coming up on 10 years in business, what was the inspiration for you and your partner to start Forward Science? Oh, man, I, I wish I could say the inspiration was what it is today, right? So entrepreneurship, as we know today, I mean, there's degrees for entrepreneurship. There's courses. People are majoring in entrepreneurship. You know, 10 years ago, which is crazy to think that 10 years ago, entrepreneurship, if you told someone that you were an entrepreneur, it just meant you were unemployed. <laughs> That's um, so true. So for us, we worked for a med tech startup here in Houston. It was run by some pretty senior level gentlemen that did a great job in their careers, but startups are a little different, you know, business. They had a lot of money from T. Boone Pickens to start this company. And, 
you know, unfortunately, we watch everything what not to do, right? So, I mean, we watch, or if you watch Seinfeld, there's a, there's a George episode where he one day he just said, I want to be the anti-George. I want to do everything opposite. It was the best MBA program I ever had in my three, four-year stint there. I mean, the margarita lunches every Friday were great. But at some point, if you're not selling product and, and you're not able to out there and make revenue, money's going to dry up. I don't care if it's Stephen Pickens' money or whoever's money it is. So we unfortunately, after a few years of layoffs and working on furlough, which I didn't know what that was, and now during the pandemic, I think it's probably more accustomed to people's knowledge, but we were offered to work for free, and if they made money, they got paid, and that didn't work it for us. So uh, my partner and I went our separate ways, and then a year after our non-competes are up, he called me and said, hey, look, I think I think we can do this. I think we can make a better technology, better device. We had a really good network. We've been in this dental industry, the oral health industry, for five or six years now. We had a good network, and we had to convince our wives that this was the right move from a financial standpoint because you go from having a job to crazy uncertainty. So it wasn't that we woke up one morning and said, hey, we want to be entrepreneurs. It was more of a forced entrepreneurship. Okay. Wouldn't change it for the world, but sometimes you need to be nudged in that direction. Right. Uh, so did did it start then with just one particular technology that y'all were familiar with? Yeah. I mean, for the first probably three or four years, and we were known as Oral ID. I mean, Oral ID is our flagship product. And I've listened to some of the previous podcasts, and they're great in the sense of I think there's a marketing one that you had of every six or seven years, you got to reinvent yourself. You know, we were five years in and we had to rebrand the company into actually Ford Science because we were going to trade shows and meetings and everything was just World ID. It was two guys, a spare bedroom, a garage. We took a traditional, a non-traditional route of instead of raising a ton of money, you know, buying the offices, getting the beautiful aesthetics, we just said, hey, instead of raising any money, let's just, let's do it all on our own. You know, we didn't pay a salary. Our salary was if we sold devices. So Q4 with med devices are great. Q1 is terrible. We didn't know that. So we had a good Q4 one year, bad Q1. But for us, it was my partner was making all the devices. He's a PhD in bio-optics. I have a master's of biomedical engineering, but I like to think I'm a hybrid of an engineer slash salesperson. So I was banging on doors all through Houston and all throughout Texas and everywhere else because product doesn't just sell itself. So after three or four years, we had some big wins. We had some big groups that we sold to. And at that point, we just had to figure out what growth looked like. Right? I mean, so you know, looking back on those those formative years, those first three or four years, what were some of the key you know, fundamentals that you think helped build forward science into what it is today? Yeah, I mean, I think hard work was everything, right? I mean, I, I was, and I didn't get to ask you this, what sports you played in college yet, but I walked on a college baseball team at Tulane, and it was 100% hard work, right? I'm an overachiever. I shouldn't have been on the team, but if you work hard enough, there's a limit. Yes, I mean, I'm I'm never going to play in the professional baseball leagues, but I think for everyone that's trying to figure it out, you have to know your market. You have to know your limitations, but, you know, hard work wins. Effort wins, especially when you're in a market that people appreciate hard work. There's some of the bigger companies that we competed against were not as fast and nimble as we were. So you can get out there by effort and, and really outwork the competition. At some point, it, it kind of catches up and you have to be a little more strategic. But for us, it's laying a good foundation of honesty, integrity on products. And we're not going to chase the dollar. And as we always talk about legacy over currency, there was a lot of tempting things that we could have done really, really early. And we would have made more money short term. But 
10 years from now or you know 10 years ago now we're looking at it we would have been in a different situation so i think there's a lot of factors that go into early early years but you're going to learn a lot of mistakes and just work through them all. Yeah. You know, check every box, what not to do. So the answer to the question is football. <laughs> the, uh, so you talked about hard work, effort, being part of the foundation. How, has, how have you taken those principles and what have you done to help create the culture at Forward Science? And how would you describe that culture? Yeah, I mean, I think culture is different as, you know, the day one we started, you know, two guys, spare bedroom, garage to now we have almost 20,000 square feet. We make everything in-house. It's a fully integrated system. So early on, the culture was, it was a leadership concept of, I'm going to do it with you, servant leadership concept. And you've heard a few times where we're not going to sit here and tell people what to do. We're going to do it first. We're going to prove what works, and then we're going to ask people to help us do it. Now we're at the point where we've grown past those growth challenges, and now we look to hire good people that we can trust, and we don't have to micromanage. We don't have to babysit, but we can trust in the sense of we understand that if they need help, we're there, and we're going to keep challenging people, right? I mean, we believe everyone should get a first chance at a new role. I'm a first-time CEO. My partner's a first-time chief scientific officer, and most of the people that are in their roles at Ford Science are first-time roles. You know, some of those didn't work out, but... I'll take the chance on betting on people any day of the week. Very good. So speaking of, you said you know, some people make, you make mistakes, you give them a second chance. What, what are some of the setbacks or challenges that you've faced along this journey? And, and what was the learning? What was the outcome? How did it improve you know, the business going forward? Yeah, I think anything you look at is there's people look at the challenges as you know, either you embrace the challenge or you run away from them. And if you're doing a startup, you're just going to embrace it because there's a challenge every direction. So think of two engineers having no business experience whatsoever starting a company. I mean, you're talking about how do I form an LLC paperwork? And I don't recommend people using LegalZoom. We use you guys now, so I highly recommend that. But And, and, and just for the record, I don't recommend LegalZoom either. <laughs> so I think early on, we didn't know what the challenges were. They just came at us, right? From a legal standpoint, a financial standpoint, structural people standpoint. There are so many challenges to metric. We just looked at it of how do we embrace those? How do we learn from those? You know, I think one of my biggest learnings as a leader was it's a small knit group, right? Here's two people. There's five people. Then there's seven people. You want to be friends to everyone because it's it's in your nature. It's in your DNA for everyone to like you. And But at some point, you have to be a leader and a boss. So having that transition from, hey, let's all get in a room and talk about what we should do to hey, look, I've, there's only a few people that maybe we get in the room and talk about what we do, and let's let's coach the other ones on this is what we need to do. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles of it's okay not to be liked by everyone because ultimately they'll understand that you have their best interest, but you may not. they may not know all the variables they want. Right. So what were some of the things you did to help you make that transition as a leader? No, I mean, that's for me. I'm a big learner on watching other people that have done it either better than me, just in general, so I'll ask a million questions. I try to read books. Every time you make a decision, I try to make sure I put the devil's advocate in the room. You know, my wife's been one of my biggest rocks throughout this. We're high, she's my high school sweetheart. So we essentially grew up together, and she'll the first one that'll support me, but she'll also the first one that'll tell me you're, you're out of line on this. Okay. And then I think having a good mentor and coach. You know, I mean, athletes know that there's a coach that tells them what they want to hear sometimes. Those aren't your best coaches. Sometimes your hardest challenges were coaches that gave you advice that, you thought they were being you know, a-holes, for lack of better terms, but you realize later they just had your best interest. So 
it's looking for those people that are there to help you throughout the way. So you bring up a couple of good concepts, and I want to follow up on, on two of them at least. You mentioned like reading and good books. Yeah. You know, what were some of the ones that come to mind for you that you know you probably still have on your bookshelf, yeah. and, and they're highlighted and, and pages are tabbed that you pull out from time to time? Yeah, I'm an engineer, so I have highlight. I even have references in the back of what page I need to go to if I want to cite this reference. You know, early on, Outliers was a big one for me because I didn't understand the concept of how do I get to this point, right? And the outlier moment of, yeah, it's hard work, but you also have to have a lot of opportunity there with it. Now, you can't truly think you're going to outwork and make the best device in the world, but if the market's not ready for it, it just won't work. You know, the Steve Jobs story of how they got to where they're at and the Beatles story who, you know, they're a little before me, but the fact that they had to play in unique places and get booed off the stage and then one day they just clicked for them. So I think the 10,000 work hours has been a big concept for me of, What's your outlier moment? You never get it in year one to five. Um, it's, you know, long obedience in the same direction. And then eventually, eventually one day you'll feel like you're the expert. But outliers was early for me. One of my biggest staples that I always resort back to is Entre Leadership. Dave Ramsey's book, and now he has a podcast. You know, I think for him, his principles are important in the sense of you can be a tough leader, but still understand that you're having tough conversation but it's because you're trying to get the best out of people and the way he goes about it and the communication styles I've learned a ton from. So yeah, I think there's a lot of the set of that. Now we're into the implementation process, right? So now it's more tactical. It's the book traction. And we just recently brought on a director of operations to help implement some of these bigger strategies, right? We don't, we don't have the core values on the wall when you walk in the office, but everyone now has a better understanding of these are our core values. This is why we're here today. Metricing them. We started incorporating assessments and recruiting to be able to metric the the traits that work well here. So it's it's unfortunately in the science world or the engineering world, we try to over metric things. We, we do that and we try to do that successfully, but it's now learning the, the tactics. So early on, it was the hard work, keep going concepts, and then it was leadership concepts. And now graduating to the tactics, the operation systems and all that stuff. I think it's so beneficial if you can do what you just referenced, and that is define success characteristics of your organization, right? Because it's different for each organization. So you can read a book and get an idea, but then you have to say, how does that apply to our organization? And, and then that helps in your recruiting and retention yep. to see if those characteristics are showing up yep. in the people you have. It's, it's tough. I think the people change, the organization changes. So as it evolves, you know, we need good leaders to lead their teams, but also we respect family. I mean, we we have policies at the office that people understand that family comes first. I mean, if, if you won the lottery Monday morning, would you show up at Ford Science? I don't know. I have a hard time believing you would. But while you're there, you know, if there's a, an issue with family or daycare or something with the kids, you got to take care of your family first. That's what we're all there for. The team probably hates to hear that I have three mouths to feed and they like to eat because they're three boys. So the question, a lot of times I oversimplify things of, is this going to help me feed the boys? The yeah. answer is yes, and let's do it. And if the answer is no, then... There's other options that we can spend our time on, but it's tough, right? I mean, everybody is early on in their phases and trying to make sure they're working hard, but sometimes working smarter is better than working harder. That's true. So going back a little bit, ask you about books and that you've read, and you mentioned mentors and coaches. Yep. So kind of along the way, who, who do you point to as you know, one or two of those mentors or coaches, either in your 
early upbringing or now since you you know became a CEO at the company you founded? Yeah, I think a lot of the coaches for me growing up were the ones that told me when you tried out for the team or you weren't good enough or that you're not fast enough or strong enough. It's not that they were, you know, they were just trying to tell you to get better. So I think you have a ton growing up. I mean, of course, college is the most instrumental for, for most people given their years. And I was given a shot just because I was willing to do anything. And I was taught from them. I mean, hey, look, you have a place on the team. You may not be starting, but if you keep the positive mentality, it's, you know, this is the book, Good to Great, right? I mean, you try to find the right people in the right roles. I didn't have a role when I was on the team at Tulane. I caught bullpens. I, you know, you needed a guy to catch on the field or catch, you know, play shortstop when the shortstop was out during inner squad. I wasn't going to mess it up. But at the same time, you know, I was trying to get better. You know, I think all those people are instrumental. But for me, the most important one was I graduate school doing entrepreneurship. You know, have, you don't have a lot of people to lean on. So someone that's done it in the past, he actually played college baseball four or five years older than me. And I think from a mentor standpoint, you have supporters and challengers, right? The supporters are the ones that tell you you're doing great, keep going, your hair looks great, whatever it is, but they're just telling you what you want to hear. And I, I, I struggle with that because I, I need the information of how to get better. So this is one of the biggest challenges that I had as he told me, you know, hey, look, we got to get better. We got to do this. And of course, there's some positives in there, but how do we keep growing and getting better? So I knew when I called him, it was going to be the brutal truth. And now we're seven years into our relationship Finally convinced him that if you really know all this stuff, why don't you come be our chief commercial officer? So as of three weeks ago, got him on board. So I don't know if that's an accomplishment or a challenge. Either way, you know, I think it's the people that are challenging you is really the biggest mentors. Don't look for the people that tell you you're doing great, that are telling you that everything's going great. When really the ultimate details for you is if, if you're not progressing, then, you know, what is it? If you're not growing, you're dying. You got to keep getting better. And the challengers are the ones. So for me, I've obviously had a few and. My wife being my biggest challenger slash supporter every day, and, and that's been the fun part. Well, it sounds like so you got your mentor or chief challenger working for you now. <laughs> I guess does that person possess some of the, the qualities that you find that you lack in some of your or, or where you're, you're weaker than or and they help kind of fill the gaps? Yeah, I think we're very similar in the sense of we have, you know, we're radically transparent in the sense of, if someone needs a little more fluff, it's a challenge. So you maybe need an intermediary manager to soften the conversation. But from his standpoint, I've never grown up in the sales world. I've never organized a comp structure or motivation, that world. That's where we lacked at Ford Science. And early on, we didn't have money for a sales team. So everything was 1099, commission only. It was motivation type sales. But this, you know, if you, if you have a W2 team, you can drive sales. So our goal for him was to come on board and start driving that you know, let's grow from the strategic standpoint of let's get a good foundation set in the sales avenue. So we make great products. I put our products against anybody's, but they're irrelevant if I can't sell them. Sure. So he's, and I told him, it's his baby now. And now I get to be the, the constructive person on the other side of giving feedback to letting him run with it. Good. So that's kind of a good segue. Uh, talking about implementing your strategy and, and, and really focusing on that. What you know, starting out or, or today, what do you believe Forward Science has done or is doing now that you would describe as innovative? I mean, I think from our end, time to market, understanding the whole medical device, FDA-regulated concept, it's this foreign world, right? I mean, it's it's like legal. I don't know what it is. I trust you. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Um, it's unique. I mean, it's challenging because there's a lot of rules and regulations behind it. 
and and most companies to get a product through the FDA to launch it from design development. You're talking multi millions of dollars in two to two to four years. We can do that for a fraction of the dollars and a fraction of the time because we don't have the red tape, right? There's not 50 managers in between. There's not a big research team that we have to report seven things to. We can do a lot of things by trial and error. So from us, we've been able to take complex technologies and put them into products that we can design simply, right? I mean, our, our, our products are designed so that we make them, which is not novel, but most companies that design product, they never make the product. So if I'm going to design a product with 700 pieces and someone else is going to make it, that's 700 things I have to buy, supply chain issues for us. So I mean, we've designed it in the sense that it's so simple, it's not challenging to make, which is also why, you know, our margins are healthy and we can keep things in house by making it. And now, you know, one of our biggest partners in MD Anderson Cancer Center that helped develop, develop this technology, they're now a customer and asking us, hey, what else can we help design and develop in moving forward? It's so, a good partner to have. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're dealing with the big boys, they move a little slower than I think we would like, as most most larger companies do. But to know that they're use, using our technology, I mean, yeah, I mean, they talk about the ultimate outlier moment. It's a fun one for that one. Yeah. So it sounds like at least part of innovation that's helped your company's success was the decision to be fully integrated. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the fact that you're fully integrated. Look, we we are working with you guys. In fact, that I can make one phone call and. We're going through eight different things currently at Board Science, whether it's real estate or this or that. I can call one point person and then we can get, I mean, that's that's huge in our, in our world. The fact that we're vertically integrated, we spend a lot of time listening to our customers, understanding what they need, what the product looks like, why they need it, the monetary aspect of it, how much does it have to cost. All that factors into how you design it and then how you manufacture it. And then from that, yeah, you, once you commercialize it, sales teams got to go do their job. So... Obviously, you and I were talking a little bit about this earlier. It's been a pretty interesting year and a half or so. What what have been some of the challenges since the pandemic started for you and the company? And what's helped you get through it? And what's the learning been? I mean, I think you can, everybody's dealt with all the challenges, right? I mean, kids work from home, not work from home. Do we Are we supposed to have a business right now? I think day one when we got that phone call, we were on the phone with MD Anderson. We had a partnership meeting to roll out a new product with them. And we were all excited because it's a great product that they helped influence. And one of the head of the department said, hey, look, guys, I'd love to talk about this product. Now's not the time. We need your help in another way. You guys are one of the biggest resource partners that we have. You're an FDA-registered manufacturing facility in Houston, Texas. Not many people are doing that here in Houston. We need you to help us source PPE, sanitizer, anything you can because this wave is about to hit us and it hit us hard. And this is when we were still trying to figure out, is this the news doing what they do? So from that day forth, we came up with, we started making hand sanitizer for our biggest partner down the street and all their healthcare partners. And that taught us to listen to our customers, right? I mean, one of our office members, a team member suggested making hand sanitizer too. And initially it was dismissed. And I tell them all the time, I had my text message where I said, hey, look, Let's look long-term, right? I mean, it's it's legacy over currency. Yeah. But meantime, I don't know what the legacy is going to look like. We had to pay bills. That's right. So we got back with him and said, hey, look, if you think you can make this, you're a productions manager. MD Anderson just asked for it too. You were right. And let's make it. Within six days, we made our first batch of FDA-regulated hand sanitizer. We started shipping to all the major hospitals that we work with. So for us, listening to customers, listening to the market, 
And then I think, you know, from what got us through that time frame to answer your other question is I've always had a challenge describing that feeling of a startup business, right? I mean, you guys have gone through it. At any given day, if you have one product, two products, competition can wipe you out, litigation can wipe you out, a bad day can wipe you out. That feeling of every morning when you wake up, you, you don't know what your fate is. Everyone in the United States of America and probably the world just now experiences the feeling that I've felt every day for the past 10 years. I don't wish it upon anyone, but if I have to deal with it, yeah, it's tough. You know, people didn't know if they had a job. People didn't know what it was going to look like next week. And the only thing I can reassure them is we're all in the same boat. We're going to try to figure it out together and keep having conversation. But having gone through entrepreneurship from day one of not knowing what was going to be tomorrow that's what prepared us from you know today, tomorrow, and anything else that's thrown at us. You're so right about that entrepreneur mentality of every day waking up and going, I better figure it out and make <laughs> it happen or else. Yeah. Right? My kids got to eat. And I don't know if, you know, now it's magnified, right? Early on, we started Ford Science. We started Ford Science with the sake of my partner and I wanted to feed our family. We had to feed our family. This was the best this was the best way that we can work hard, and in theory, the harder you work, the more money you make. It's not always the case. It has to be the right place at the right time. But for us, we can justify working hard because we're feeding our families. We knew what we were doing. I never envisioned it now being, you know, we mess up. It's not our families. There's 40 families, and I respect each one of them. And, yeah, we got to – it's on us, right? I mean, if every time I drive in the office and I see a lot of cars and I'm parking down the street – it's not a sigh of relief. It's more of a sigh of, okay, I, I can't mess up this next deal. That's right. Sense of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it's there. It's, it's on our shoulders, and it's, you know, there's a lot of responsibility for it, but that's all you can do is keep doing your best and you know, trying to make sure that your long-term vision is there. So how would you describe your leadership style and your philosophy about leadership? Yeah, I mean, that's changed since day one, too, right? I mean, as I keep learning, keep learning what people – respond to better. You know, my dad's a guidance counselor, so he's a listener and then, you know, using questions to guide people there. I think for me, I'll go to bat for anyone that's working hard and trying their best. We're going to make mistakes and I'm fine with mistakes, but let's learn from them. Um, not going to be a micromanager. So for us, we make sure that we have people that don't need a Monday morning meeting. Here's your seven tasks. Good luck. Go do it. There are people that need that and it just doesn't work at Forward Science. We need people that are willing to have their own initiative, we know the obstacle or we know the, the outcome. It doesn't matter how you get there. The way I did it is different than the way you do it. You know, we, we brought on a, a director in training education. And for me, I'm a clinical engineer. I used to travel around the U.S. and probably done thousands of lectures. It's called Sex, Drugs, and Oral Cancer. So people showed up because we put the word sex in it. But for her, she's a clinical hygienist. And I transferred everything over to her, and it's 100% trust. She does it completely different than I do. It's way better now because she knows what she's doing. She's taking what I was good at and now what she's good at. It's just giving people their first shot and, and letting them go out there and do what they need to do. You know, having trust in your team, I think, is important. Next man up is always there. And if we find someone good, we just have to put them in the right role. So I love that, you know, the, the trust factor of your people. I think that's what really creates opportunity within your organization where people – are given the freedom to fail a little and yeah. be trusted and try things. What? How do you ingrain that in if, you know, the team below you yeah. to the to whoever they're managing? What have you kind of done to help instill that in them? Yeah, I think you know that's another big challenge for me. Is now I'm two steps removed, right? I mean, I was managing it, or for one, I was the team, right? I was banging on doors. So 
when I'm working with sales reps, I get it. You know, I've been told to get out of my office a million times and I understand the challenges. Then you go a, a level above that and now you're managing the team. So you can still have direct correlation, but now I'm a step above. So for me, it's less fluff, more direct conversation, making sure that it's not up for interpretation. It's clear messaging, clear expectations. Here's a few ways to get that from the team, but here are some expectations to, to make sure we do it. We metric everything at the office. So we have our core values. If we're doing our core values, let's celebrate the wins. If we're not, let's make sure that they're clear of why we didn't hit them. So, you know, I think for being a level above, and you can ask everyone, I'll be your biggest cheerleader, but I'll also be your biggest critic in the sense of you, you can ask me for help and I'll do anything. But if you know the answer, you know the answer. There's no reason to keep asking people for help. Just go do it. You know, I think people having the fear of doing things for not – you getting people and making sure that they're struggling mentally of, hey, what if I do it wrong? You know, it is what it is. You're going to do things wrong. I've done a million things wrong, but let's learn from it. Let's not make the big dollar mistake, but let's make a few small, small mistakes. Let's pilot things, and then let's do it big. Yeah. It's, okay. Good. The listeners out here are, you know, either entrepreneurs about to start a business. Maybe they, they've started a new business, getting it going. What, what advice would you give someone like that that, you know, say, look, here's some things I wish I knew back in 2012 or in those early years that you could maybe share. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my biggest things is hard work pays off, but in the sense of you have to know your market, right? So understand the market. Don't jump cold turkey and just try to figure it out. Like, put a good strategic plan together. Strategic plans don't have to be a 40-page MBA strategic plan. It's something that, well, I understand the market, and my, my partner always talks about a 10-legged stool, right? I mean, if one of the legs is wrong, it used to be a three-legged stool until now there's so many variables with it. So you have to do your homework and understand the market. Ask people every which way your feedback. Hey, if I had this idea, what are your thoughts? And start refining it. You know, whether you're at a job currently and you're doing this on the side or you want to jump cold turkey, whatever it is, everyone's in a different financial situation or opportunity, but understand what you're going for. But just do it. You know, I think for me, people overanalyze themselves out of things. I truly believe me now, I don't know if I would have jumped in what I was doing because I would have overanalyzed it. Yeah. I got kids. What happens this? The what ifs? You know, if you have a backup plan, that's not a good sign, <laughs> yeah. which I get it. You know, you want a backup plan, but it, it's tough. And I think the biggest thing for me is if you don't, if you don't have a supportive system, again, not everyone is in the situation we're in currently with kids, but if my wife wouldn't have been supportive every day when I had dinner and she asked, how did today go? And I didn't make a sale. Mentally, I already feel like I lost. I don't need that repetition. So for her, it's how to go today. What can I do to help? You know, you're on the right path. It's somebody that's supporting you, but also not to the sense of here you are five years later with no sales. You just need those mentors that are telling you you're on the right path, but make sure that you just jump. Yeah. See, one thing you were alluding to, I think, you know, the old saying is analysis paralysis. Yeah. Right? Just, just. Engineering lawyers, like we're on the same boat, right? We want to we want to put this crazy metrics together in this 17 year plan and where we're going to be, and it's going to change so much. Yeah. There's um, also, I think, most people would say if your strategic plan is 40 pages, you're going to fail because <laughs> yeah. you, you just can't do it, right? I know. It's got to be simple and, and executable. Yep. Keep it simple, stupid, right? That's I mean, right. that's that's the easiest way to put it. But I think simplifying everything is a challenge. I try to reverse engineer everything. I mean, now from from everything we do, what do I want my outcome to be? Do I want to be this crazy company that IPOs it and does this? Or do you want to be a company that you're just happy with working where you're working, providing jobs for other people and living a good life? 
then work backwards. And I think that works. That that answers a lot of the questions you have throughout. It, it certainly helps being clear about purpose yep. is what, really what, in my interpretation of what you're saying. Yeah. When you're clear about your purpose as the organization, it then puts a frame on decisions when they come your way. Absolutely. Right? Does it fit the purpose or not? Yep. And, it, and all of a sudden, confusing situations become much more clear. Yep. And one of the things that I think I heard you say kind of a couple times you know, to an, a young entrepreneur is don't let the fact that you don't have prior business experience stop you. If you have passion around an idea yep. and are willing to h- work hard, don't let it stop you. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I was younger in my career for the fact that we started a business and I went to trade shows and meetings and people would always ask, hey, who's, you know, who's who's up at top at Ford Science? You know, tell me about your boss. And I play the card, right? I'm the, I'd like to say I have a baby face. I mean, it's changed with kids with the lack of hair, but from the standpoint of embrace it, you know, whatever, whatever your culture is, whatever your concept is, whatever your mindset is, just go for it. And for me, it's always been radically transparent of, People have always asked, why don't you go get the MBA now? For what? I mean, uh, there's no reason to get three extra letters. Not that it's not helpful, but currently we just spent a decade of, I would argue, the best business plan I've ever designed. And we can, you know, we've been asked to guest lecture some of these MBA programs. So, yeah, I think just go for it, making sure that you're okay with it. And and obviously self-awareness is the biggest thing for anyone, for everything, whether it's personal life, relationships, from a business standpoint, to answer your question about you know, why I brought my mentor on, or I've, I've been working on it for a while, but I know what I do well, and I know what I lack at, and it's getting the people that you lack at. Don't try to do those things. And I tried that early on, of trying to do seven things, and probably partially it was because financially we couldn't hire someone else to do it. Sure. Make sure that you're self-aware, know your skill sets, work on the ones that you don't do well with, but at the same time, bring some people on that, that can help you expedite that growth. That's great advice. So some really good stuff. Appreciate you sharing the, you know, the, your journey and, yeah. and, the, and the learning. We'll turn it to a little bit lighter side. And what was your first job? Oh, my first job for money. I used to cut grass, pressure wash. You know, I used to get baseball hitting lessons, all that fun stuff. Even in, in high school, I used to, I bought two ties because I went to a private Catholic high school in Louisiana, and I used to rent out my ties. So for me, the mentality has always been figure out the angle, but my first real job, my big boy job, I graduated on May 18th, which is Sunday. That Monday, I started working at MD Anderson. So going from you know a bunch of odds and ends jobs to no real boss to a little different mindset of big how many people work there, it's been a challenge, but it was the best move. I mean, I just packed up my car because I was naive and just drove up to Houston from New Orleans. So it sounds like you were somewhat of an entrepreneur you know, at an early age, yeah. renting your ties out. That's I, yeah, I don't know where it came from. You know, my, my dad is a, C, C, a certified financial planner. He's a guidance counselor at school, so maybe it's the, that. But, you know, for me, it's always been trying to make sure we can figure out how to make ends meet. And if you can make a dollar and do the right way, then let's do it. That's great. That's so you're from South Louisiana, but I'm going to ask you about you know, <laughs> Texas. You know this is coming. So Tex-Mex or barbecue? You know, South Louisiana believes we have good barbecue as well, so I'll, I'll digress <laughs> on that. It's a different type, but... Man, when I was introduced to Tex-Mex, I think it changed my my dietary restrictions in life. I try to put everything in a tortilla now. It, it is amazing that <laughs> to the point now where, and you know, Bucky's did the, this is the ultimate pinnacle of Texas, right? You got Bucky's who put brisket and egg in a tortilla. 
Yeah. That's the pinnacle of it. Oh, yeah. But I think Tex-Mex is, is, is the way to go. Okay. Okay. So even, even some of your Cajun seafood gets wrapped in a tortilla now? Or? You know, there's, when you go to Escalante's and they have a really good shrimp that you can throw in a tortilla, man, it's good. And then you throw some different flares, not just Tony Sastry's on everything. Right. It's actually infused with, you know, different types of jalapenos or hatch, I mean, hatch green chili season is just, I mean, my wife now learns, she's a big, she loves cooking. So for her, when she was introduced to how to cook with hatch green chili, it's like, oh, now we cook the roast a little different. Yeah, those are good. It's a good time of year. So if you could take a sabbatical for a month, where would you go? What would you do? Man, so for, for us, we've been going down to Galveston. You know, it's not, it, it, they're phenomenal beaches in the sense of it's an hour drive with three boys, six, three, and one and a half. And now learning to fish and crab and do all that stuff, I would take them on a crazy place and just go fishing, hunting, whatever it is. I mean, it's been fun with my wife and the boys down in Galveston just being able to have fun in more of a recreational world. That's crazy. It sounds like you took the, all those South Louisiana hobbies and interests, <laughs> just applying them here in Galveston. Yeah, everybody thinks Louisiana is the best fishing. Don't get me wrong, it's great fish, but I think we caught last week eight different type of fish and I had no clue what they were because in Louisiana there's only four or five types of fish so we've been googling and now my kids are like this is this type of fish and it's been a fun education to see the boys get to grow up in Texas for sure that's great well Rob I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show your story's been very inspirational I have no doubt people out there have taken some some notes and got some great takeaways from you so thanks again I appreciate you having us And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BoyerMiller.com forward slash podcast. And you can find out more about all the ways our firm can help you at BoyerMiller.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.